Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Hebrews chapter 12 and reading for our text the first three verses. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1, 2 and 3. What is upon my spirit is what our pilgrimage should be. In the previous chapter, we read together of those that walked by faith and what their pilgrimage was. In verse 13, we are told these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So all of these, they confess that they were pilgrims, that is, they were passing through this world. This was not their rest. They were strangers here. They were travelling to another country. They had another aim, an object in view. It's quite a distinct change when you come from chapter 11 to chapter 12. In chapter 11 we have the cloud of witnesses that were looking forward to Christ's coming in the types, in the shadows, in the promises that they embraced, that they saw afar off that Christ would come and he was their trust. He was who had given them faith and to whom they looked by faith. And yet when we come to chapter 12, immediately we have our Lord and Saviour set before us. They look by faith to him that should come. We look back by faith to him that has come. And now he is given a name. They did not have a name. Uh, the name was secret, the name was hidden uh, up until our Lord's coming. And then that beautiful pronouncement, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so we also have a pilgrimage, but we are not called to make arcs or to uh, do as Abraham did, offer up his son uh, we may indeed be called to suffer for our faith, as many of them did. But the path of each one will be a different path. And in these first three verses, it sets before us 
the path that we in these New Testament times should walk in. Passing through this world, uh, compassed about with many witnesses. And really there's this incentive for us, isn't it, on two accounts. One, the witnesses that have gone before us, those that we have known in our lifetime as well who walked in the ways of the Lord, their witness, their example, that is an incentive for us. And also that we ourselves, we have witnesses. Our lives are lived before the Lord's people. They live before the world. Others see how we walk. Others may be stumbled at our walk. Others may be encouraged by how they see us and how they see how we bear up under trials, afflictions and troubles. So the witnesses both on the side of those who have gone before us and those that are watching us should be a real incentive to us to pay great attention to these three verses as to how we are to walk, how our pilgrimage should look. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us. So I want to look then at what our pilgrimage should look like, what it should be like, a pilgrimage of and three points. The first one is a pilgrimage of laying aside what would hinder us. The second thing is a pilgrimage of running in a race. And thirdly, it is a pilgrimage looking unto Jesus and considering him. These three things should mark out our pilgrimage here below. So firstly, those things that are to be laid aside, laying aside what would hinder us. And of course the uh, illustration here is as a runner in a race, in the Olympics perhaps, they didn't want burdens on their back, they didn't want even much clothes. Many ran with very few clothes on so that they weren't hindered with any unnecessary weight or anything that would hold them back from obtaining the prize and finishing the, the race. And so this is the, the picture here, and it's a very, very vivid one. We could very easily see if someone was to be asked to carry a weight, and we know for army training they they do it with a full pack, you know, 30 kilograms or more upon their back, and that's what they've done to do the, the running and their training with, because in, in real life that's what they've got to have. But we can see how it would greatly hinder them and how much better they would get on and run if they didn't have these things. And you and I as well, in our pilgrimage, there will be those things that are hindering us, are holding us back, are taking away our fruitfulness, they're taking away our comfort, our assurance, they 
are as black spots in our profession, there are those things that rob the Lord of his praise and honour and glory. And we should be mindful of those. And may it be this morning we're held to think of some of those things because our text, it doesn't just say lay aside some weights, but every weight. We think of another scripture, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. In that scripture, the idea is we, we, we still need sustaining, but it is casting it upon the Lord. The idea here is not to be hindered or pulled back by these things. And so is laid aside. Sometimes we might have things on our desk to do. And we might have a long list of things to do. But there's one or two things that really bother us. They're really, they're very difficult. Sometimes the way that we might take is to lay them aside, put them to one side so that we can get all of the other things done and that one thing doesn't hinder us and take up our whole day and even then we don't finish it and can't accomplish it and we've done nothing else. And so there are those times that we make that judgment to be able to get better on a better use of a day we choose some things that we're going to lay aside. We're not even going to try and fathom them. We're not even going to spend any time on them. We're not going to take effort on them because we, we view they're detrimental to other things that are more important. And so it is here. It is not seeking to deal with them. It is not seeking to uh, resolve them or even manage these things, but just lay it aside. And we might think, but surely there are some things that we do have to deal with. Yes, there are, but when they are in a way that we ourselves are not able to, and this word is very clear, if it is a weight, if it is a hindrance, it is to be laid aside. So I want to keep very scriptural, want to keep to the things that our Lord and what he set before us in the scriptures are very clear things to hinder us. Our Lord in his ministry, Matthew 6, he spoke of the things that the Gentiles are concerned about, or those that know not the Lord, what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall put on. And he says this, let the things of the morrow take care of themselves. Be not anxious over much. And how often the thought of the morrow, the thought of what is before us, the thought of things before us is such a hindrance. In the house of God it can be. Instead of listening to the word spoken, instead of taking part in the worship, our minds all the time are going to tomorrow and something that needs dealing. Let the things of the morrow take care of themselves. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. May we live specifically for the time, for the day 
when thoughts of the morrow are fruitless, useless, and really just detracting from our real walk and what we are doing. Very closely allied to that is how the Lord drew attention in the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus to the difference between two of the Lord's people that he loved. Martha was cumbered about with much serving. Mary, she was able to sit at the Lord's feet and hear his word. What a contrast, the Lord in the house. And sometimes we can be a Martha-like spirit and that comes into everything. We want everything just so, everything working properly, uh, everything at the table spread right, and everything to the best perfection and best standard, and sometimes it's not called for at all. And all it is doing is cumbering us with much anxious care, and we can't listen to the word of the Lord. Now remember, man shall not live by bread only, Martha, remember that, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, that's what Mary is remembering. And she's listening to the word of the Lord. And so we need to be mindful of that. Are we cumbered about with much care? Our Lord then had a rich ruler come to him. He said, Lord, what my good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord set before him the commandments, and he said that he had kept them all. Then the Lord set before him something different. He said, Go and sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, and come, follow me. In other words, be a pilgrim, be a follower, be a disciple of me. There was something that was hindering that. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And that was his love of riches. When the disciples heard the Lord say, how hardly shall they that are rich enter the kingdom, they said, well, who then can be saved? But the Lord clarified it. Those who loved their riches, those who cleave to them, made them their God. They were such a hindrance to their walk. And we can think of many that were really snared by that. We think of Gehazi, Elisha's servant, and how he then coveted what Naaman was to offer and lied and deceived to get those riches, went out a leper white as snow. What a solemn thing. The love of money is the root of all evil, but it is also, as our Lord pointed out, with that rich ruler, that which was a hindering in his walk and his following the Lord. Another way is the traditions of men. Our Lord had solemn things to say to the lawyers in his day. He said to them that they laid men with burdens that were grievous to be borne and that they would not lift those burdens with the least a little of their fingers and they taught for commandments the traditions of men the washing of cups and platters not just for sanitary things but as a ritual as a religious thing 
and we can have things like that that are added, added to faith, added to the people of God. In the early church, there was something that the Jews wanted to lay or burden the Gentiles with, and that was the institution of circumcision. But the disciples, they said, we could hardly bear that. Don't lay that and don't put that burden upon the Gentiles. You just put this burden, abstain from fornication and from eating with the blood, and you walk without those extra burdens of the ceremonial law or of the laws that were given as to covenant Israel. And so there are those things as well that can be a burden. They're not required by the word of God. They're not dictated there. Now I know the Apostle Paul, he exhorts to pay attention to the traditions that I gave you. And good to traditions, right ones, it's good that we do pay heed to them. We think of even in our gatherings of worship, where is it prescribed in the scriptures of the pattern of our services? Three or four hymns or, or more, or uh, the reading, the prayer, the sermon, the, the length of them, the order of them, we, we believe we put the, the mix in the importance of the sermon as being the, the main part of the uh, the worship, but then of the hymns, uh, sing to the praise of the Lord, teaching one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with joy in your heart, and, uh, and then offering up prayer, reading the word of God as Ezra did, and the, the book opened in the sight of all of the people. But the actual ordering of it is traditions, the hymn book that we use, Imagine the confusion if you look round at all the other churches or that that church is this hymn book and this one this and, and you kept changing your hymn book all the time. It's a good thing to think, well, our denomination or our group of churches, this is what has been decided upon. I'm not going to let that then be a great big burden to want to be changing it and, uh, and that's it. Uh, and, and we will do that, walk in that way. But if there are traditions that are actually hindering and pulling back, uh, then those are the ones that are to be laid aside. Then there are the excuses. Excuses. Men make excuses. We think of our Lord speaking. This is in the Gospel according to Luke. Chapter 14 and verse 18. And this is where the uh, supper had been made and there was the word come for all things are now ready. They all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And we think of all these excuses. 
excuses why we shouldn't meet in the Lord's house, excuses why we shouldn't keep the Lord's day, excuses why we should not uh, go to the midweek prayer meeting or go to the midweek worship service, excuses why we shouldn't minister uh, to the poor and to the needy or why we shouldn't speak to our neighbours. All the time there's some hindrance, something, some reason there's a way set before us in our hearts, in our consciences. We know what is the word of God. We know what is the will of God. But we've got some excuse. And it seems to be that that excuse is a conscience pacifier. If you and I have got a conscience pacifier, get rid of it. Lay it aside. It's that which will never stand. You think of the judgment. And the Lord says... Why did you not do this? Why did you not walk in that way? And you trot out your little excuse. May you think of that in the light of the judgment day. What a poor little excuse that that would be. Try our excuses or try our reasons for not walking in a particular way in our pilgrimage as the thought of the judgment and how we shall bring that before God, not before our fellow men or before our own conscience. Remember, our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and they will make those excuses. Another hindrance that is set before us in the word is to be unequally yoked together. Now, Paul puts it, especially in the case of, of a marriage, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, what uh, concord hath Christ with Belial? But there can be many other unequally yokes. It might be we've got a family. Uh, some some of the siblings they fear God. Some fear Him not. And there's a family business. And there's thought well we'll all have shares in it. We're all one family. And we're all yoked together, we go around the board table and make decisions together. But what is this? You're bound together in a covenant, an agreement. Some of you are walking in the fear of the Lord and some have no fear of God at all. In a way, it's like this with, with Ahab, with Jehoshaphat. Ahab says, well, will you come with me to the battle? Yes, says Jehoshaphat. I am as thou art, my horses as thy horses. He might have had in mind, well, we're all of Israel. You're of the ten tribes, I'm of, uh, of Judah, Benjamin, we are one. We're all from Jacob. But he was reproved by the prophets, and not once, twice as well, in, in Ahab's son, uh, in joining together with the ungodly, yoked together with them in battle, going as if they were the same. And we can be like that. And we've got to think, if we're going to sign an agreement or a contract and yoke ourselves with someone or a people that have very different standards, they are not on pilgrimage, they are not walking as we are walking, what a hindrance that that is, how it holds us back. And of course, the Bible is very clear. If one is called after they have married, perhaps married in unbelief, and then one has been called that if the unbelieving is pleased to remain and walk with them, 
then they have to continue together, not put them away. But we should be mindful if those that are unbelievers are actually hindering us. Many of the Lord's people who have unbelieving families, they can have the Lord's day, they're attending to go out to the Lord's house. Suddenly there's a knock on the door, or oh, uncle or auntie or someone has come to see us. And it's been a question asked by to many church leaders, what should we do? should tell them this is the Lord's day. We're going to the Lord's house. You knew. We're not staying away because you've just decided to come. Well, we haven't seen them for a long while. Some of these can be hard things, but it won't take long. It's like with Nehemiah, when the uh, buyers and the sellers, they all came along on the Sabbath day, and Nehemiah said, no, we're going to lock the gates. And he locked the gates of Jerusalem. They still came once or twice, but when they found out Nehemiah was in, in earnest, he was not going to allow that business on the Sabbath day. And then they didn't come anymore. But there can be those things if we allow it to be so that always intrude, always come, and they take the phone call or the visitor or something that takes away the time of worship time with the Lord, interferes with our pilgrimage, our walk with the Lord. So this is a weight to be laid aside, a yoke that is an unequal yoke. Another thing is that which Peter speaks of in, 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 in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, where he, he speaks of our minds and girding up the loins of uh, our minds. He says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this can be a real weight when our minds a light to go everywhere, here and there. It's like the flowing robes of the Jews. If they're working, they girded them up. And if they were to run somewhere without taking those robes off, they girded them up because the flowing robes would be a, a hindrance. And our minds can be like that. And they needed to be well, laid aside or girded up so they don't hinder. Another hindrance is the fear of man. We read, the fear of man bringeth a snare. When we think of Peter, and we think of the fall that he had, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, but his denying of the Lord was really the fear of man. And that comes in later on, when the Apostle Paul reproved Peter, because we read of this in Galatians, that before the Jews came up from Jerusalem, then he sat with the Gentiles. But when the Jews came, he separated himself. Now Peter knew full well, because Peter had been used in going to Cornelius' house. He presided over the preaching when the Holy Spirit had first been given to the Gentiles. He knew, and he knew by the vision that God had given him, that which God hath cleansed, call thou common and unclean. 
But, and Paul, he could see that Peter, by his fear of man and withdrawing and separating himself, was actually undermining the faith, the teaching of God. It is really a hindrance in his pilgrimage, in his ministry, in his walk, the fear of man. And that does. It stops us from doing what we should do. And it causes us to walk in ways that we should not walk in. And it is a weight, a weight that then is to be laid aside. But then we have another thing, and that is, and I'll make this the, 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 the last one, uh, what Paul brings before the Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 13. And he, again, is speaking here in, in the way of pressing towards a mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, and note in that, it's, it's not really the mark of heaven, or it's not really heaven itself, but the mark of this prize of the high calling of God. Whatever calling we might have here below, we might be an engineer or a doctor, a mother, a father, you might be a, a, a child, a teacher, or whatever the calling is. The greatest calling that you and I can have here below is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, following after him, attaining that high calling of God, there's no greater blessing to be called of God, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a pilgrim, a true pilgrim here below, called to be saints, called to be pilgrims. He shall give grace and glory, no good thing shall he withhold from them that walk uprightly. But Paul, in this context, he sets before us that which shall be a hindrance and he said this one in verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark. And it is when the things behind us, things that have been in our lives, things that have been in the life of the church, things that have been dealt with, Things that we go over and over in our mind, was that done right? Could that have been done differently? Why is there a course of a life like it has? And you're raking up the past, going over and over in, as if we could change it, as if we could make it different. And that can be a great weight, a great hindrance, dragging us back. And this is what Paul is, is picturing here to... Forget those things which are behind. If they are a hindrance, if they are pulling you back. In the other side of it, we think of in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, where we are exhorted the other way, to thou shalt remember all the way the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness to try thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether they would serve the Lord or no. In that sense, we're not to forget the lessons we've learned. We're not to forget the blessings God has given us, the guidance he has given us. We are to profit from what we have passed through. The Lord teaches to profit. But those things that we've gone through are to encourage 
and help us not to discourage, not to pull us back. And when we discern that they aren't helping and they are pulling us back, they are those weights that are to be laid aside. Now, no doubt, you will know other things and perhaps things in your life and my life that uh, the Lord will show you this, this actually is a hindrance. This is, is not doing your walk, your faith, any good at all. And so this first thing, it is laying aside every weight. It's every weight, but it's not just that. It is also the sin that doth so easily beset you. And in this, really, I want to be fairly brief. You and I, we know what are our besetting sins. The sins we're most likely to fall with because they recur again and again. When I look back 40 years ago, when I first was called and brought into the pilgrimage way, the sins that were a plague or a besetment to me then are still they still are my weakness. They still are those things I've grown under, have to pray for much grace and much help. And yet here it is a laying aside. Instead of saying, look, it's about time you dealt with these things that they've been plaguing you for years. In this context here, it is the thought as if the Lord has said to a poor soul, look, this side of the grave, you'll never fully master this. The more you think on it, the more you dwell on it, the more you look at these things, the worse it will be. The more it will play on your heart. Paul, in a way, in Romans 8, he says, If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. In other words, instead of concentrating on the sin, the deeds of the body, he's concentrating on the Spirit, then, then there is the proceeding in that which is holy and good, not just leaving an emptiness and a vacuum. It must be replaced. And, and the way is a mortification in laying it aside and saying, I'm not listening to you. I'm not, I'm not going your way. I'm doing this. Uh, I, I'm walking in prayer. I'm reading the word of God at this time. I'm not going to lay it aside for indulging the flesh or indulging this temptation. In the word of God, some of those besetting sins, one of them especially comes under the heading of lust, where you see the fruits of the flesh always. It is adultery, fornication, those sexual sins, and that is which is common to man. Very often, under that head, is the besetting sins of many of the people of God, a returning sin, a recurring one. But then we have others like anger. We might be a person that is easy provoked to anger, easy fall under that, and it hinders our, our walk and our path. Be ye not angry, be ye angry and sin not. Let not this sun go down on your wrath. We think of pride, how easy pride can Come up, the hymn writer says, Pride, the heart uplifts with God's own gifts and makes even grace a snare. That can be a real weight to us when pride comes up 
uh, and just blast the promised crop. Many examples in the word of God in that way. Doubt can be another besetting sin. All the time, when there'd be a walking in the ways of the Lord, then in come these doubts. Instead of laying them aside, we indulge them and follow them and go on them. Unbelief is another one. As if it was something that was to be carried along with us and nurtured with us. Well, let's run our race and get on well in the pilgrimage, carrying all these doubts and carrying all this unbelief. God's dear children will have doubts. They will have unbelief. They will wrestle with them. But this passage here is dealing with us and telling us how to deal with them, how to overcome them. And it is is spoken in a simple way of laying it aside. Another thing may be a besetting sin of levity. How easy it is that a situation arises and we immediately think of a likeness or a joke and a besetment with the present church of God in so many ways today is lightness. How many pulpits a sermon has begun with a joke and levity and yet the word is very clear that we are to avoid those Things, those uh, lightness and uh, joking and uh, those things that are completely against the solemnity of the things of God, that undermine it all the time. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Uh, and that levity and lightness is to be uh, the setting sin that is laid aside, not indulged. For well, you and I, we know what our besetting sins are. The weights, you might say, you look at those, you say they're not intrinsically in themselves sinful. But then when we come to besetting sins, you say they are sinful. They are definitely sin. We identify them as that and we should then have nothing to do with them, laying them aside. So the first point then is that which is laid aside. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The second point then is the running. The running as in a race. So there is three uh, things or four things that we may say concerning this. I see the time disappearing before us. But the first thing is running. It's set before us here, not walking or meandering or in a slovenly way. This is a definite as running the race. And if you've seen anyone just meandering along the road or ambling along, it's a very different picture than someone that is really running. Really, you look at them and you say, that person seems to be indifferent whether they get to where they're going or not. Look at all the time in the world. But someone that is running, you think time is of essence. And where they're wanting to go, it is an urgent thing. And that is the picture how we should spend our pilgrimage with that urgency. And those round about us in the church and those unbelievers should know that the path that we walk 
is a path of, of greatest importance and greatest urgency, not of indifference. The second thing is that it is to be running the race with patience. How vital it is that there is that endurance. James, he says, you've heard of the patience or endurance of Job, the end of Job. Our trials, our tribulations are not short, are they? You know, Moses, he had 40 years in Pharaoh's household, 40 years in the desert learning, and then 40 years bringing the children of Israel through. And it's vital for us not only to begin well, but to continue. And, and that is what is so vital here. Thinking of the duration of our trials, our tribulations, our pilgrimage, especially in the difficult things. And then the third thing is the race that is set before us. Our race will be very different than others of the Lord's dear people. And it's set before us. You believe, I believe, do we not, that God has appointed the path of our lives. You think of Job. What part did Job have in choosing out the path that he walked in? None. It was a race set before him by God. We think of Joseph. What part did he have in choosing that he should be the next ruler under Pharaoh and how he was to get there, how his brothers dealt with him, cast into a pit, sold, falsely accused and in prison and how much patience he needed until we read in Psalm 105, until his time came, the word of the Lord tried him. And so it was a race that was set before him. With David, and you might say again, these, he brought himself into this. He committed murder, he committed adultery, and the Lord said, the sword should not depart from your house. In other words, David, your pilgrimage from now on will be marked out by the sword not departing from your house. This will be your tribulation right through. The race that was set before him was that. You might say the other races set before him was to be the king over Israel. And we might have a race as a pastor or a minister or a husband or a wife or a mother, uh, a father. It is actually a race set before us, a path, a pilgrimage we are to walk in. And the Lord has set it before us. And we might think, oh, another brother in the ministry or another church and congregation, that's a lot better pilgrimage. If I was in that, I would do much better as a Christian. And I'd glorify the Lord much more in that way. No, it is the race set before us. Our path is specifically appointed by God and we should desire that we walk in that pilgrimage or run in that pilgrimage in that way, not all the time thinking of some other way. And then, of course, what we mentioned with the Apostle in running the race uh, set before him, the end in view, pressing towards the mark, an end in view not just not just heaven, but that high calling of God, 
that while we are here below, we adorn the doctrine of God and our faith in walking in the way God has set before us here, running in this way. But then I want to come to our third point, and that is a looking unto Jesus and considering him. It would be a very sad pilgrimage and very unlike the witnesses that went before in Hebrews 11 if we never had our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hymn writer says in hymn 515, Out of self to Jesus lead, for and in us intercede. So pray to the prayer to the Holy Spirit that we might be led to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a vital part of the direction here for a pilgrim. What began their pilgrimage? How did they begin it? They began it because God sovereignly, through our Lord Jesus Christ, gave them faith. He was the author and finisher of our faith. Paul says to the Philippians, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We're never to lose sight of the beginning of the way when the Lord first gave us faith, who it was gave us faith, who begun that work, where is that faith of? It's of Jesus Christ and it is in Jesus Christ. And we are to look unto him where he is in glory, not here below, where he has got to. And he was through this world. He went through this world. How did he go through this world? Where to consider that? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Here is the gospel. Here is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. He lived the perfect life. He laid down his life a ransom the vital necessity, it is Christ that died, yea, rather risen again, ascendeth on high. There is our hope for heaven, not in our work, not even in our pilgrimage, but in what Christ has done, his finished work. And our righteousness is not our life here below, our righteousness is that which is imputed of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we are to walk not worthy of that high calling or that we are be unmindful of how we should walk in a pilgrimage, but we should be looking ever mindful of what Christ did, how he laid down his life for us. The apostle says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Wherefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are his, and using those incentives for our walk. We are not redeemed to continue in sin. We're not redeemed to indulge our lusts, not redeemed to carry the world along with us, trying to serve God and mammon in our pilgrimage. We're to consider the Lord. We're to consider how that he despised the shame. 
May we not be ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of our walk, ashamed of our profession in the Lord Jesus Christ, or even ashamed of the path that we have gone through. Paul, of course, he often referred to what he was. He says, I'm not worthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, but I obtained mercy in that I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And there are many of us think back with shame, things that done in unregeneracy, things even done since. And it pains our heart. We pray with the psalmist, remember not uh, against me those sins of my youth. And we have to consider then the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, put our mouth in the dust. Be ashamed of our own works and our own ways, but not ashamed of the Lord or ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of his word. And we are really then to consider him, consider where he is set down, consider he is at the right hand of the throne of God, he has endured. He has attained that uh, victory and that glory. And these things are set before us that we also may do the same. That long cloud of witnesses in chapter 11 did. And this is the Lord's word to us, how you and I are to walk as sinners. Sinners often with many weights, Sinners with many besetting sins, but sinners with a faithful God and Saviour who hath redeemed us, whose name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he begins it by giving us faith and a hearing ear and then something to hear and the directions as to how we should walk in our pilgrimage. May the Lord bless this to us and help us, even if it be a helpful one day. But may it be more than that. But maybe as we gather in the Lord's name, have those helps from the sanctuary to go on another day, another step in our pilgrimage. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.